but they just reach out and say, you know, hey, this is, you know, the cue. We want to use it as a background vocal for like a minute or 30 seconds or however much they want to use it for. And that all factors into, you know, what the price is going to be for the master as well. If you're going to use 35 seconds, well, that's obviously going to be less expensive than if you're trying to use a minute. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle, spelled A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part one in the two-part The Music and Movies series. In this episode, we're going to experience a day in the life, hour by hour, of Darian Farrell, a film and TV coordinator at Universal Music Group, so you can decide if this is a career that's right for you. Have you ever seen a trailer to a movie and thought, damn, this song has me pumped up for this movie? Have you ever danced along to a Beyonce song on Just Dance or played a game on Fortnite with celebration music? Well, those songs can't just be played willy-nilly. Creators need to have the rights and pay up to use them, and that needs to be approved by the company who owns the song. That's where Darian comes in. Let's get right into the day. It's 5.30 on a Monday morning in Los Angeles, and Darian began her day with a sweat sesh. She got to the gym by 6.10 and spent an hour there working out. The mornings are for her to get her body and mind right and set the tone for a productive day. From there, Darian went home, showered, packed her lunch, and braved the LA rush hour traffic. It really is as bad as everyone says. She lives four miles away from her office, and it still takes her, on a good day by the way, 30 minutes to get to the office. Sanity! She arrived to the office by 8.30 a.m. Let's meet Darian and learn more about what she does. My name is Darian Farrell. My job title is film slash TV music coordinator, uh, but I'm predominantly work on the film team and new media and I work for Universal Music Group um, which is you know one of the big three music companies right now and it's a big subsidiary that has like you know hundreds of labels underneath it uh, most notably Interscope, Geffen, A&M, Def Jam, Capital, Island, all those great labels and then my job description is um, pretty unique because it's broken up into two sections I have like administrative tasks that I need to complete on a day-to-day basis um, and that's like supporting our senior vice president at film tv our vice president at film tv um, our senior director Melissa who does like new media and then my manager who does um, independent films and docs and then so I support them administratively uh, but then I also have my own deal making that I will, you know, go out for approvals for independent films from students or if they need smaller requirements like film fests, all media, 
excluding theatrical, things like that, like internet streaming, if that makes sense. I'll get more into that. So you said you're one of the big three, right? What does a record label do in 2019? The side that I can speak most notably to is the catalog. And so what a lot of people might not realize is depending on the artist's contract, um, it's the label that owns the music. So it's up to us, our department, to not only get the best deal for the artist on you know their recording, but also to get the best deal for the label and um, to kind of recoup their spending benefit and bringing on this new artist and paying you know to have their their late their record produced and recorded and put out um, to the public it should be that the label works in partnership with the artist so that way the artist is getting the creative freedom that they need to you know make their art for the world and then has the label supporting them when it comes to distribution and touring and things of that nature but yeah, my job pretty much focuses on the catalog and, you know, stuff that's already been recorded and ha it has been put out or will be put out soon. You mentioned label. What is the relationship between a label and Universal Music Group? Our relationship with the label is really, you know, getting their permission for syncs. Um, so the head of the label, we usually will put through our system, you know, when we have a request and we need the head of the label and their team to sign off on it to make sure that, you know, they approve since the master is under their label and their catalog, their section of the catalog. So we need their approval. Um, also, the label, when it comes to sync rights, also does a lot of pitching to um, music supervisors, film studios, basically trying to get, you know, their newer artists that have been signed, get them sync placements in different um, advertisements or films or TV shows. So sometimes their teams will pitch songs. And if, you know, the music supervisor for the project or the studio for the project likes the master, then they'll come to us and say, hey, this was pitched by the label, so-and-so at the label. Can we get this process started on approval? Back to the day. 8.30 a.m. After Darian was settled, she went through her emails and organized her inbox by flagging them into now and later categories with color-coded flags. Now emails represent any task regarding her boss's projects, which are high priority. Later emails are Darian's projects. Blue flags are licensing inquiries, and yellow flags mean that there are licensing inquiries ready to be quoted. Green flags mean payments are pending, and purple flags mean the project's complete. We'll explain the licensing process later on in the day. I have my flag system in my inbox, but I also keep a separate Excel file, um, basically of all the projects that I'm currently working on, you know, and the stages that they're in, and then how much revenue they've bought in from each deal. It's really important to have that documentation. I I hardly ever delete emails. It mostly just moves from my inbox to a different subcategory in my inbox. I like to keep a record of all my deals because that's honestly, we get so many requests per day that like if, if I didn't keep some sort of Excel sheet or some sort of tracking system, it would be very easy to let stuff slip through the cracks. 
So now it's 9 a.m. and you're putting through music requests for upcoming films for Universal Pictures, Disney, Warner Brothers, and Paramount. What do you mean by music cue requests? Could you give us an example from a past project that's already been out and kind of the step-by-step with that? Yeah, of course. So I have one example, a couple examples that I really like was excited about because there were like songs that I really loved. But one example is Jordan Peele has a new movie coming out or a new movie out coming out, but the trailer's already out. And so the music supervisor for the trailer was like, hey, we really want to use, you know, I Got Five on it by Lunas. And um, you can like Google the trailer and see it. And it, it makes its appearance in the trailer right now. But they just reach out and say, you know, hey, this is, you know, the cue we want to use it as a background vocal for like a minute or 30 seconds or however much they want to use it for. And that all factors into, you know, what the price is going to be for the master as well. If you're going to use 35 seconds, well, that's obviously going to be less expensive than if you're trying to use a minute. It's great because the, for the trailers, those are also going to be a little bit more costly because a trailer really sets the whole tone of the film. And especially when like you can't go in theaters right now and see us, um, but you can watch the trailer. And so that trailer really gives you a sneak peek at what it's what the film is going to be going to look like. And so that's the more costly song wise. So it's got to be approved by a representative for the artist. So sometimes that's their manager, sometimes it's their lawyer, uh, sometimes it's the artist themselves. And then it has to be approved by the label division that the song is under. So like the head of Interscope or the head of Capital has to also approve. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes uh, like management will, go, will get back to you and they'll be like, oh, thanks so much, but you know, but we politely decline the use or like this is not approved. And so that's tough because then you have to go and tell the client like, hey, you know, unfortunately this wasn't approved. And sometimes they want to know and a lot of the time, you know, we aren't given a reason. It's just, you know, this is this is denied. Sometimes they'll say, you know, this is denied on account of funding. Like they they feel that it should be more money than they're offering. And so then it's our jobs to kind of negotiate the fees. But most of the time they don't they the management team won't give you a reason. It'll just be, you know, this is this has been denied or this approved this request is not approved. Please let the client know. You don't realize how your feelings change about a song <laughs> until you are trying to clear a song with four and five samples. Oh my gosh, I bet. So then you also mentioned that you're getting music requests from Disney and Warner Brothers and Paramount. Those are not under Universal Music Group, right? Like, why are other record companies or production houses involved that are necessarily like competition? And is there like a good relationship in that way? Or does it get tense? We have a great relationship with them because these are their production houses. And yeah, like Warner Brothers has, you know, Warner Music. But if they need a song that Warner Music doesn't own, they have they have to come to us. And so it's it's great having a relationship with the head of music who will call for my bosses at Paramount, who will be like, oh, hey, Darian, how are you? Like, it's so good to hear from you. You know, can you get, you know, so-and-so on the line for me? So I believe that there's a great, you know, relationship with these companies because at the end of the day, we all have to work together to get what we need. 
10 a.m. hit and Darian was putting new music requests for new media projects such as Dance Dance Revolution, NBA Live, Madden, and Fortnite. The rights for Universal Music Group songs when used in these types of projects are a little different than movies and trailers because of the volume of requests and the context. For the sake of explaining, Darian's going to share the difference between trailer music licensing and new media music licensing. In order to use Kendrick Lamar's DNA in the Creed 2 trailer, the rights that you would request would be out-of-context trailer or in-context trailer. And basically the difference between out-of-context and in-context is an out-of-context trailer is more popular. It's what you're going to see when you look up the Creed 2 trailer because that song plays over a various montage of scenes from the film. An in-context trailer is a little bit less popular because that means what you're showing in the trailer has to be the exact scene that's in the film that the music plays under. So the rights for like Dance Dance and NBA Live are gonna be different because yeah, they're gonna have trailers, but they're mostly gonna be like internet trailers or like um, trailers that are gonna be like on TV, letting you know, hey, the new NBA Live is out. And also the rights for to be in the actual game are going to be different because it's mostly just going to be, you know, in context of the game. And it's going to be like, oh, plays over, you know, the home screen or plays when like Kobe dunks or, you know, it's it's a little bit more specific to the units that are sold of that video game or that new media game that all like has to be licensed. At 11 a.m., Darian was answering phone calls from various publishing offices, studio music heads, and music supervisors. Most of these calls are usually to regulate fees, check on the status of pending requests, or to put in new requests. Well, if it's the music supervisor, they want to talk about the fee. <laughs> and they want to see, you know, can we can we do it for this? Can we do it for lower? You know, this is, you know, our max budget. Music supervisors have the tough job of, like, this is they get a budget and it's like you have to stick to this budget along with pick incredible music for the film or for the new media, whichever that is. And do you go through that negotiation or do you just put in their request and get the the answer back? For my specific clients, yeah, I definitely have to speak with clients, you know, letting them know, hey, this is going to be this much amount of money. And, and they say, you know, well, we've only got this. And I say, well, I can reach out and see if it's going to be if I can finagle some a lower fee, but most likely it's going to be this. It stinks because a big part of my job is basically telling people you can't use this for free. This is what it's going to cost. And then they realize, you know, wow, this is a lot of money. I didn't realize because again, my clients are usually students or first time filmmakers or people doing people seasoned filmmakers, but they're just in the film festival market. They aren't, you know, doing distribution deals yet. I have a delicate way of (laughs) saying this is not going to clear. And that's, um, you know, typically in the past, this one has been a little bit tough to clear for the rights you are requesting, aka Film Fest or Internet. Um, I would definitely recommend having a backup in place, but I will do my best to notify you if anything changes. Your rejection voice is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now it's noon and you're ordering office supplies and you're scheduling meetings for your bosses and the office itself. And then you're also sending out non-objection letters. What's a non-objection letter? What's included in these? So this is usually sent out when a film crew or production wants to use an album artwork from one of our artists. So like we don't technically 
own the album artwork. Uh, we own the recordings for the album, obviously, um, but the artwork is a little bit more open to interpretation. So we normally will refer them to the artist's management and let them know, you know, hey, you need to, because, you know, name and likeness, you need to get their approval first. And then if you get their approval, then we will send out a letter basically saying we do not object to your use of the album artwork in the scene so long as it's not you know defamatory or they're not being like you know this band sucks and like breaking the album like over there me like obviously we wouldn't approve something like that 1 p.m rolled around and it was time for lunch with their co-workers pro tip they like to have a later lunch because it makes the day go by faster darian told us her experience at umg has been so positive for so many reasons but the bond she has with her co-workers is a big one it's great because all the coordinators we have four desks and they're all together in like this big alcove and mine's in the corner in the back and we all just like hang out there it's great because we it's like a bullpen for all of us to just hang out and talk and not be scared that we're being like watched by our bosses. I mean, not that any of us need to be afraid because our bosses are all very relaxed and laid back and kind and considerate. Um, but it's it's nice because we have like that space kind of for us and for ourselves. We all get along so well and we have lunch together every day. All, like I won't say every day, but a majority of days we're all having lunch together and we all have a lot in common. We attend shows together after work sometimes, and it's just been really great. I definitely, I, I couldn't have made this transition if, you know, I, I was transitioning into a toxic work environment, and that is far from the experience that I've had at UME and the, on the film team. It's, it's really been incredible. And speaking about your coworkers and the relationship you have, can you talk a little bit about how you how you personally set personal slash professional boundaries? That's a that's a really great question, and it's a really tricky tightrope walk. I mean, I feel very comfortable with my bosses and with my coworkers, but I also know how much I want to share because you never know what that could come back to you on. So I try to keep, if someone's, you know, talking about their personal life and, you know, what's going on with them, like emotionally, I try to offer an, an, an ear without offering a voice. Sometimes it's better to be a listener of what someone is going through and, you know, laugh if there's a joke and be there. But it's so important to listen more than you talk. One of my mom's favorite movies is The Godfather. And she's like, you know, Michael Corleone is her favorite character because she's like, if you realize how Michael became, you know, the Godfather was he never told people his plans. He just quietly sat back, observed, and made his moves. So now it's 2 p.m. and it's time for your projects. You're putting yes. through master and requests. <laughs> you described a little bit about your projects, the difference between your projects versus boss, but uh, could you give us an example of like a project that maybe you worked on that would be considered your project? Yes. I'm trying to think of the first thing that came to mind is I just finished a project uh, for a student uh, getting her MFA and she put through, needed two masters and it was like an independent student film that she put together and needed to license music for. So I deal a lot with either first-time filmmakers or uh, filmmakers who are who have done films in the past but are just 
strictly looking, you know, for film festival rights because they're trying to get their film picked up for distribution. And I deal uh, with a lot of nonprofit requests. I also do a lot of like internet streaming options. Um, I also do video on demand, which is like uh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. That's like the video on demand service as well. Just kind of building on that, the different types of contracts or licenses uh, to do this. Does it matter like how many views or where these are being played? Does that affect the price or is it just like a one-time fee and now you can use it? We break the fee down by the type of use. So is it a background vocal? Is it main title? Is it end title? That makes a, big, a visual vocal, that, that makes a difference. How much of the song are you using? Are you using five seconds, 30 seconds, 10 seconds? That makes a difference. And then the rights you're requesting. So do you need film festival rights? Do you need all media? Do you need broad rights? Broad rights is like, you're gonna show it everywhere. It's gonna be in theaters. It's gonna be on TV. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be everywhere. Term also makes a difference. Do you need perpetuity, like forever? Do you need a year at the film festivals to get it shopped? You know, we usually range anywhere from, this is where also new media differs because new media will sometimes be, you know, 10 months and that's it, or like six months, or that is sometimes if Captain Marvel has like a showing one day at like Comic-Con and they want to play some song that we own at this event, we'll do like one day and that will, you know, determine the fee as well. But I mostly stick with film fest that you know, the most we'll do for film fest is like two years, um, and then you'll have to come back and renew it. Or for all media, we do perpetuity, internet streaming. We can fluctuate the term based on what they need it for and how much their budget is. And video on demand is usually perpetuity as well because you know, once it's on Hulu or Netflix, it's gonna be on there for a while. So then with your songs on average, both with your boss's projects and your projects, would you say that the ones that are the masters that are requested are more mainstream or would you say that they're on average more like the opposite, more um, underground, indie, underground, indie, underground? I'd say it honestly varies. Like there have been, I've gotten requests for Nina Simone masters. And then in the exact same film, I've gotten a request for like Nirvana. So, I mean, it, it is completely contrast. It just depends on the type of film and like what the music supervisor wants for those cues. Yeah, it can, it completely varies. I definitely think we see more uh, people want like, you know, the latest and greatest. So we see more mainstream stuff, but I think that's the beauty of film is that you're going to get a wide range. Whereas like for TV, I can definitely say that TV gets more, mainstream requests because it's on tv and so they want what's hot right now whereas i think we get a nice variety of tracks being requested 3 p.m and darian was sending out reports to the east coast labels as well as rock nation stating how much the revenue their labels have brought in from creators licensing their artists music the labels like to know that information to see what songs are being licensed and for how much each month 4 p.m., she sent the files of the approved projects to the contracts department. But 6 o'clock, it's the end of the day. But you mentioned earlier that you like to stay a half hour later. Do you ever have like a pending project, whether it's a payment or anything, and then you leave it for the next day? Or are you the type of person who wants to finish everything um, before you leave for that day? I'm someone who 
needs to finish everything before I leave for the day. My bosses, they're so funny. They'll send me requests like towards the end of the day and be like, this can wait until tomorrow. And I'm like, oh no, I'm just going to do it right <laughs> now because I, I'm someone who just like likes to have everything complete and finished and then go home at the end of the day knowing, okay, when I come in tomorrow, everything that's in my inbox is new questions. 6 p.m. hit and Darian was out of the office and at this time she could be meeting up with her co-workers for happy hour or... We'll go to shows together, we go to happy hour, we will attend a new artist showcase if, you know, we've been invited by that label. Um, it's fun. It's fun to hang out with other people in the industry who kind of understand what we're going through on a day-to-day basis and who are also just trying to network and make names for themselves and you never know who you're going to meet and who that person is going to one day become. So it's really cool for me to meet new people and let people and have people know me. And I, I want to build those connections and build those relationships. And that's, you know, the best way to do it. What is next for Darian Farrell? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I love being at Universal. I love working there. It's, it's a great, it's a great company to work for. And it's been such an amazing opportunity. My goal, you know, I don't want to be a coordinator forever. My goal is to, is to work my way up. I would love to, you know, be ahead of music at a studio or be the, be the vice president of licensing, you know, at a major label someday. I would love to do, I would love to music supervise a project one day. You know, these are all dreams that I have and things that I have in mind. So I just like my Corleone and sitting back, listening and observing and trying to you know, make my moves when I see an opportunity for them. So you just experienced a day in the life of a film and TV coordinator, but how does one actually become one? In part two of the music and movie series, join us as we go through Darian's career journey and experiences leading up to where she is today. Darian didn't start her career in the music industry. She graduated with her master's in applied social psychology and had all these plans to pursue the field of psychology, but had a change of heart during her graduate studies. Learn how networking and polite persistence, as she puts it, landed her the job of her dreams. Stay tuned. At Experience a Day in the Life, we're building an online library of content all focused on a diddle or a day in the life of different jobs and professions across the world in all different industries. So if you want to share your a diddle, you can do so at xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a diddle. That's xadiddle.com slash share dash my dash a-d-i-t-l. Thanks for listening. Head over to xadiddle.com. That's xadiddle.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.